Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. It is good to uh, be able to share in everything that God is up to with you. And, and I thank you for your prayers for us. That's a really, really big deal. And, uh, and I'm very, very thankful for that. I also want to say how thankful I am for all of the responses that we've gotten over this past week. Um, it's been really neat to see um, all of the uh, responses that we've gotten um, to the questions and thoughts that you had about the Holy Spirit. And, and we gave you a couple of weeks to kind of fill out those questions and get them back to us in, in the uh, offering plate or to call us up or write us or, or whatever. And I, I think it's always good when you ask for feedback and you get a lot of it. It's great, and, and, and that's exactly what I got. I, you know, I have a stack about this thick of responses in my office and, and of questions and everything. And what's even better, and this may sound, I guess, maybe even better for you than it is for me, but um, I didn't get any questions that weren't echoed in someone else's responses as well. Okay? So if you asked a question, if you said, I'm not sure about this in regard to the Holy Spirit, or, or I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure I understand this, or I, I have a question about that. You're not alone. You got a whole lot of other people that are asking that question too, and that's good um, because it, it, it means that we're kind of tracking together. But it also means that we can probably answer everybody's question. Um, yeah, so we were able to kind of group them together in, in a way that I think we're going to be doing a, a smaller series over the next few weeks. But we're going to be able to kind of address, I think, everybody's question. Um, to some degree, or at least start a good conversation that we can continue with you beyond this time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that with you. And the first category of questions that I was asked was wrapped around this basic idea. How do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? And it's a great question. And, and there are a whole lot of other questions, kind of sub-questions that come out of it, some that were asked and some weren't. But, but, but questions like, okay, so what are the signs that I do have the Spirit then? Like, like what would I see then if I have the Spirit in me and, I'm in a, and the Holy Spirit's inside of me? Or when exactly does the Spirit come on someone? And, and, and what I have found, and I want to be careful about saying this, okay, because again, I got written responses, so I don't know. I don't have a voice behind them. But I know that the times that I've had those questions, that I've asked these kind of questions, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit in me in my life? And when I've had other people previously ask me those questions, a lot of times those questions are rooted in a certain anxiety. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that whoever gave me these questions is, is suffering from that. What I am saying is often when we feel anxious about our relationship with God, we will begin to question the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, or, or, we will try to find and seek some sort of validation that yes, we do have the Spirit because we said such and such or we did such and such or we participated in such and such or we felt such and such a way at a time. And so I want to look at this in a slightly different way today. Rather than seeking to proof text in a way that validates the Spirit's presence and go, okay, well, you know you got it because, mm, okay. What I'd like to do instead today is turn our focus to the nature of the giver of the Holy Spirit. Our gracious God, our loving Jesus Christ, in our relationship with him, and see if that doesn't ease some of those questions about 
how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit or not? Okay? At the end of the first letter that he writes to the churches, John gives this encouragement to us. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. His is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever is asked, we know that we have what we've asked of him. And so I guess if, if, if someone was going to ask me, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? My answer to them would be this. Do you think that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit? Do you think that he desires to do that? Do you think that that's in his will? <laughs> Mark is like, of course. Okay, but, but, let me, but let me expand on that yes a little bit. Do you realize that the entire trajectory of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end is answering the question, what is the relationship between God and humanity? And, and I think if I looked at the entire Bible and I could sum it up, I, wow, if I could sum it up in one idea, this does not preclude you from reading it, okay? I would say this, the entire Bible is the story of how God is drawing nearer to you and me. From the very, very beginning to the very, very end, that is his goal, is to move closer to you and me. And to move so close to you and me that there is no separation between humanity and God anymore. Okay? And I don't know how much closer you get than having the Holy Spirit living in you. And so, so to ask the question, does God desire for you to have the Holy Spirit? I believe the answer is a resounding yes because that's where he's been going from the beginning. All the way from the beginning. It is to this effect that Christ died and was buried and was raised and is ascended. Was so that you could have the Holy Spirit living in you. Now, if God desires you to have that, then my follow-up question would be this. Have you asked him to give it? Have you asked him to give it? And not to qualify, I mean, not to say like, have you prayed a certain prayer? Not to say, have you been dunked in water in a certain way? I'm saying, have you asked him to give you his spirit, to fill you with his Holy Spirit? And if you can answer yes to both of those questions, I will say, okay, you have the Holy Spirit. Sermon over. Okay, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> Monique's like, yes! That was fast. Good job, man. Okay, no. Unfortunately. Um, or fortunately, maybe. Okay, but you have him. That's got to be the starting point for our understanding about having the Holy Spirit, is that God is the giver of the Spirit. He deeply desires for you to have him. And so if Jesus is your Lord, if, you, you know, if, if you're listening to what John says, you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's not eternal life someday after you die going to heaven. That is the eternal life of God's Spirit in you. The old life is dead. The new eternal life is in you now. That is our basis for understanding anything about being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
that faith is the core of receiving the indwelling of the Spirit. And I'm getting an amen from the corner, and I love it, okay? I love that. Have I mentioned how much I love having kids in church? I really love having kids in church. It's great. All right. Most of them are mine. So I, you know, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. I have tried to think, though, about the best way that I can express what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, you say, great, I have him. What does that look like? And the thing that I keep coming back to, and we've been using marriage language a little bit in the worship today, okay, is, is the illustration of marriage. Now, I need to put a disclaimer on this. Okay, single people, don't turn me off right now, okay? Please don't do that. Because what I don't want, to, I don't want you to say in your mind right now, oh, he's talking about marriage, great, that doesn't apply to me. Okay? Because the first thing I want to say this is this. Any relationship that we are engaged in, any relationship, God designed that to point back to our primary relationship, which is our relationship with him. Okay? So the principles that I'm talking about here, they apply to you. You do not have to understand marriage in order to hear these principles and have them apply to you. You do not have to be, because who understands marriage, okay? Um, right? But I, you don't have to be in that subcategory of people in order for this to apply to you. So I, I actually want you to listen more carefully because these things are universal, I believe. What we're going to talk about is universal. What we see is we see them expressed in a particular relationship, but I believe that the principles are a part of our deepest relationship with God, and so you can find expressions of them in any kind of friendship that has the spiritual root of Christ in it. Okay? So, in the idea of what happens in marriage, there are things that you do when you get married. You have a ceremony. You make vows. You exchange items that act as representations of your commitment to one another. You sign a legal registry form. And all of those things might be expressions or part of getting married. But if you were to ask me, how do you know that you're married, Travis? How do you know that you're married to Nicole? I would not respond with, well, I stood up there and said I do that one time. That will not get me very far. I told her I loved her like 16 years ago. It is 16, right? (laughs) All right. You said I told this story many times. I went, did you get the date wrong all the times or just that once? No, I'm just kidding. But I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, well, I stood up there and I said it and I wouldn't say, oh, look at my ring. See, I got the ring. And I wouldn't say, well, there's a, there's a document on file at the Taylor County Clerk's Office that says, like, how do you know that you're married to Nicole? Instead, I would say, I know I'm married because I have her and she has me. And we are living out of that identity of being married every day. How do you know that you're married? Because I'm living it. Because I'm living it. And you can do all the ritual that you want, but it is God that makes marriage sacrament. It is He is the one who takes the two of us and transforms us through this lifelong process of becoming one flesh. Amen? Right? I am an active participant in that. I'm not just sitting around going, okay, let's be one flesh. Let's let that happen. Like I, I, Every day I strive toward that, but I'm not the one that does that. It is God who does that. Okay? 
Ultimately, it is in surrender, not control, that I live out of that identity. I give over to the identity that's laid out in front of me of what it means to be married. I give over to her well-being. I give over to loving her more than myself. I give over to willingly making myself available to her and intentionally focusing on her. That's how you are married. Not because of a ring, not because of a piece of paper, not because of a vow. Okay? And we all kind of intrinsically know that, right? Okay, So let's do what Paul does all the time and take that natural state and apply it to the supernatural state, okay? We are called the bride of Christ, every single one of us. And the Holy Spirit is given as proof positive of that identity, Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians. God is the one who gives the Spirit. The Spirit is the enactor of that manifest relationship that we have with God. And so in essence, if we're the bride of Christ, we're all married with the Spirit, And the Spirit, because Christ is the Spirit, okay, read our key verse this morning, 2 Corinthians 3 again, okay, think about that. The Spirit is Christ. Christ is the Spirit. Christ is the one who removes the veil from our eyes of being separated, and we are able to interact with God face to face with nothing in between the two of us, he says. It is only through Christ that that veil is lifted, that that separation is made, and we are able to be face-to-face, one, no separation anymore. Okay? And that means that our assurance that we have the Spirit is a combination in the trust, in the faithfulness of our partner, and in this case, our partner is God, whose name is faithful and true. Okay? It's not, not just an attribute of him, it's, it's who he is. He is so faithful and true that his name is faithful and true. But it's a combination of that, and it's also the markers of living out of that identity. So it begins with a foundation of trusting that my God is faithful and true, and if he gives me his spirit, I have it. If he says, I desire for you to have my spirit, and if I ask him for that, I have it. That's the foundation. But then what grows out of that is I live out of that identity. There was a story of, of, a, of, a, of a young enlisted man in the French army who had an encounter with Napoleon. It was actually a good encounter because he lived. But Napoleon's horse ran away from him. And this enlisted man chases down his horse and brings it back to him. And Napoleon looks at him and he says, thank you, Captain. Okay. No questions asked, no what are you doing, immediately. He goes over to the quartermaster, says, I need, I need my stripes for captain. He immediately goes and grabs his stuff, moves it over to the officer's barracks, grabs a bunk for himself. Why? Because it's Napoleon. And if Napoleon says you're a captain, you're a captain. You don't question that. You live out of it, right? You, you go with it, Okay. Okay, one, one who is so much greater and so much more benevolent and so much more amazing than Napoleon has looked at you and I and said, you're my child. And more than my child, you're my bride too. Okay? Ooh. You are mine, and I am yours, and I have given you my spirit as proof positive. Okay, how will we respond? We respond by living out of that identity. We respond by living out of that reality. 
okay? See, it, it probably rubs against the way most of us think about the indwelling of the Spirit, but also all of our relationships, because it doesn't have much to do with feelings, okay? Feelings seem to lead the way in most of our relationships, and the Bible usually lets us know that that's kind of dangerous territory, okay? The heart leading the way usually wrecks stuff. And the heart has to be submitted to something bigger in order for desire or passion or feeling to find its proper home in any relationship, especially in our relationship with God. And so one other question that you have to tackle about knowing that you have the Spirit is, well, what about if I don't feel like I have the Spirit? The guy could have said, well, I don't feel like a captain yet, or I don't know if I'm ready to take on the responsibility of all that. And he's like, okay, live out of it. Live out of it. When I look at Galatians 5, 16, and 17, I read this. I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit desires what's contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. In all my relationships from God down, I have two options that are incompatible. I have a desire to go my own way, a desire to do my own thing, a desire to put myself on the throne of my life, and that is sitting in conflict all the time with the course that God desires to have for my life. One of submission to him, one of submission to his spirit, devotion to my relationship with him instead of devotion to me. And I hear and I see all the time about how married couples on the rock say that they've fallen out of love or, or they feel like they're just roommates now, you know. I mean, mostly that's when I'm thumbing through the tabloids at the supermarket that I see that. Confession time. But I hear that, and I hear that seriously. And what I want to say is that if you usually dig a bit deeper down behind those feelings, what you come out pretty quickly is a pattern of decision-making and behavior that does not act devoted to the other. It acts devoted to oneself. If you dig down far enough and you're willing to be honest... That's where it starts. And, and it may sound like, I don't know, that may sound kind of blunt. I'm not going to feel very married if I'm embracing, if I'm not embracing the lifestyle of being married. If my choices and my actions and my priorities are still very much centered on me and not on Nicole, I'm, okay, I'm not going to feel married. And, and like I said, this may sound kind of blunt, but I think the reason many of us don't feel filled with the Holy Spirit is that we live a very self-directed life with him. If I still live single, but I'm married to the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to feel very married to him. I'm not going to feel like our lives are moving in sync because they aren't. I'm out of sync. I'm kind of choosing my own life and then kind of expecting him to like, you know, show up and help every once in a while when I need to do the dishes. That's not married. It's roommates. Holy Spirit doesn't want to be your roommate. Holy Spirit is not interested in sharing your apartment. Holy Spirit is interested in being intimate with you, being married to you. Holy Spirit is interested in you being one flesh with God. It's a very, very, very different, very different trajectory for your life. And, and see, I, I see so much in the Bible to back that up, okay? 
If, I, if I'm making my choices without regard and surrender to him or playing the field with other priorities and partners, God didn't say that idolatry in our relationship with him was like adultery. He said it was adultery because it is adultery. See? See how that works? It's not an analogy. It's not a euphemism. It's not a parable. It's just a reality. That's what it is. If God desires to be the greatest desire of your heart and you keep splitting it between him and other partners, if you were to do that in the realm of, other, of your relationship with your spouse, that would be called adultery. And all of our relationships point back to God. So it is. That's what it is. And we have to come to grips with that. God is faithfully devoted to us. And so if I ever find myself wondering if I have the Holy Spirit, if I, if I find myself really deeply conflicted about that, then I, then I come to the realization that I've either drifted from the truth that my partner is faithfully devoted to me in every way and that God will give me what he's promised, or I am starting to live, I'm starting to drift out of living out of that devoted identity. I'm starting to live like I'm single again. And what do I do with that? Okay, I mean, maybe, maybe we put a more positive spin on it, okay? The first thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is that if we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that is being in right relationship with God, we will be filled. If it is the Spirit that brings right relationship with God, then we need to ask ourselves, what am I really hungry for? What am I really hungry for? What am I really thirsty for? in my life and devote ourselves accordingly. If you are really hungry and thirsty for God's spirit, he will give it generously and fill you. If you are hungry and thirsty enough to move in that direction to seek it, he will give it. That's the promise, right? Jesus lays it out in his own verbiage. It doesn't get a whole lot clearer than that. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you will be filled. Blessed are you when you're hungry and thirsty for that because you will be filled. And I've often heard and seen that folks who have been married a long time start to take on each other's character. They finish each other's sentences. They think along the same lines. I've even seen some that have lived for so long they start to look a little bit alike in their physical traits. And that's not a weird thing. That's just, that's just what happens when you become one flesh, right? It just happens. It's a fantastic phenomenon, but, but it underscores to me this idea that we become like the one that we have consistently chosen to devote ourselves to. And the Bible, like I said, seems to key on this as well. Like our reading this morning, again, I go back to 2 Corinthians 3. It talks about how we have this hope in Christ because of the Spirit so that we can be bold. We can see Jesus clearly, and now we have this great freedom. But freedom for what? Freedom to do whatever I want? No, no, no. Finally, freedom to love exclusively. Freedom to fixate ourselves on the glory of Jesus. And as we do that, we get transfigured into his likeness through the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does in you and I. It makes us look more like the one that we're devoted to. We start to look like our partner. And that's not a one-time thing, right? It's a continuous process. Just like marriage isn't a wedding ceremony, I am continuously opening, my, opening myself up to be filled with the Spirit in order to remove the blind spots in my spiritual vision. This allows me to be fixated on Jesus and to be transfigured into His likeness in my life. It is a lifelong thing, and it has to be adjusted, and it has to be grown. And so if I'm wondering whether I have the Spirit or not, another great marker is to ask myself this, 
when I honestly and unflinchingly look at my life, do I see that there's a pattern of looking more like Jesus or not? Paul picks up on this idea again in Galatians 5, through 25. We know this passage is the fruits of the Spirit, and it's such a good gauge to measure by, right? So I say live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the sinful nature, okay? And he talks about the fruits of the flesh are pretty obvious, but then he says, the, ah, but the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And there is no restriction against the growth of these in the life of someone who is led by the Spirit. The fruits are given and expected of all who have the Spirit. Okay, it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not the same as spiritual gifts. It's not like somebody gets all the patience and somebody gets none, even though you might think that that's the way it should work with you, okay? It's not, it's not that everybody gets the gentleness and somebody gets none of it. Those things are given to everyone. And so I, I know if I have the Spirit, when I look over the course of my life, do I see that there's an increase of the markers of the Spirit's presence? Do I possess love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in ever-increasing measure? Are they growing in me? Even if it's that they're just growing by like that much, like are they growing in me? If, it, if I don't see that, it doesn't mean that I don't have the Spirit. Let me hear that really clearly. If I don't see that, it does not mean that I need to start questioning whether I have the Holy Spirit because God is the faithful giver. It's not that he was like, oh, you're not being patient enough or you're not being loving enough. I'm going to take my gift back from you. Okay? God does not operate like that. That may be the one major difference between our human and our divine relationships is that while people may decide to withdraw, God does not. God does not. I was, I was reading Isaiah 49 to somebody yesterday, and, it, and it just a stark representation of that, you know, where he says, you know, you know, the people of Zion, you say, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has given up on me. And he goes, like, really? Can, can a mother who is nursing a child forget that she's got the kid right there? Could, could somebody even do that? And he goes, even if, even if somebody could do that, I would never do that. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Ever. And so it's not, if I don't see those things in my life, the question is not, hey, where did God go? The question is, where am I going? Am I starting to live single again? Am I starting to... to, to to live single, and, and, and I have to ask that question, and I need to start realigning and redevoting myself to the lover of my soul again, just like I would in any relationship. See, I love this part, though, and Paul puts this as on at the end, okay? Since we know and we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. There's a great invitation there to spend our lives not second-guessing whether or not we're empowered by the Spirit, but learning the ins and outs of finding how to live in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. That's what the invitation is. Not to sit there and question whether you've got him or not, but to question what it looks like to live together with him. And that's something we can devote ourselves to day in and day out. And see, that's what the life of the disciple truly is. 
dancing step in step with our life partner, learning how to dance. And, and boy, that's a good thing for me because, like, I don't know how to dance, okay? But I'm learning. But I'm learning. Learning the ins and outs of finding the rhythm with the Holy Spirit, loving as He loves, prioritizing as He prioritizes, being able to pick His voice out in a crowd of voices, learning to dance. That's what the life of the disciple truly looks like. It's not restricted or contingent on a single prayer or a spiritual gift. It is not a one-time choice or a vow or a ritual. It is day-to-day living with the love error of your soul. It is trusting his faithfulness and devoting yourself to the identity of your beloved. And I think if we were to really do that, I don't know that we would, I don't know that we would ask this question much anymore. We would see all the external markers of the power and the life and the wonder about having him in us because we are already living in the faith that we have those things because we have a faithful God who gives himself completely to us. He's not going to decide that we're done. He's not going to decide we're through. The Holy Spirit is going to stick with us for better or for worse in sickness and health, for rich or for poor, till death do us. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's right. There is no death anymore with him. So we're hitched for life and life eternal. And that's his promise to us. Our vow to him is to live out of that confidence that we are filled with him, fully and completely his, now and forevermore, growing daily in his likeness by the indwelling of his spirit. Amen? Amen.